Welcome to the Mentality Podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about healthy masculinities. I'm your host, Lao Chokan, and throughout this podcast, we'll hear from a wide range of guests about the views and experiences of manhood. We'll look at the bits we should celebrate, but also its messy parts, while having a bit of a laugh. Hello everyone and welcome back to Mentality Podcast. I hope you're keeping well wherever you're listening from and the reason I say wherever you're listening from because I want to give a massive thank you and shout out to all our listeners across the globe from here in the UK to people across the pond in the US and also places like China, Romania, France, Germany, Denmark, Croatia, you name it. Thank you for listening and engaging with the podcast. And if you're new to it, don't forget to subscribe, comment or like on whatever platform you're listening from. And I have a bit of exciting news that I want to share with you about the podcast. From next month, I'm going to introduce a new type of episodes on top of the current ones. They're going to be much shorter, less frequent, but they're going to be about men's issues, masculinity or men's mental health related to any topics around these issues in the news. And don't worry, it's not going to be me waffling for the entire time. Actually, I'm going to have a guest and we're going to cover these topics in depth. So keep an eye on the podcast. And moving on to today's episode, there's a special guest that I invited to have a conversation about masculinity, sexuality and men's mental health. They're leading a progressive organization. They're training people to be mental health first aiders in their workplaces. And you probably heard of them already. This is no other than the CEO of Mental Health First Aid England, Simon Blake, OBE. Here's my conversation with Simon. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Excited to be here. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Mental Health First Aid England, we know that men's mental health is an incredibly important area. So good to be talking about it. Absolutely. And uh, speaking about men's mental health, like any insights, any things that from your work or within MFHA or maybe previous roles that the aspects of men's mental health and maybe linked to masculinity uh, pop up? I mean, the thing which we know, of course, is that Gender stereotypes, uh, so what men are supposed to be like, often prevent them from talking, can mean that they don't seek help, can mean that you know, they're supposed to be physically and mentally strong and independent. And of course, most of us don't live up to that. You know, we are all vulnerable um, at times and we all need help at times and we're interdependent. So this culture of masculinity means that we are stopping the conversation, stopping the help seeking, stopping the offering um, help. And of course, we see higher rates of suicide amongst men, which is evidence, I guess, that you know, something has to change. And I would say that you know, for some people, um, things are changing. You know, it is becoming slightly more acceptable to talk about mental health. It is becoming slightly more acceptable to talk about needing help and, and, and seeking help. But for many men, that still seems a long, long way away. This perception of masculinity, us men to be our fully self, to express like fully our personalities because well, we can't share this side of ourselves because we don't look like we're supposed to be looking like, you know, strong physically or mentally or don't express all the full sides of us. The great work you, you are doing at uh, Mental Health First Aid and just to see how that links to, to the topic we're discussing. Sure. So Mental Health First Aid uh, England is, is a social enterprise and we deliver training. Our mission um, is to train one in 10 of the adult population in Mental Health First Aid 
and mental health knowledge and skills. And one in 10 of the adult population, because we believe that will help to create the culture change, which is needed to eradicate stigma, uh, to know how to have non-judgmental conversations about mental health and to enable people to seek and offer the support that they need, as well as look after their, their own mental health um, and well-being. And of course, when we talk about one in 10 of the adult population, that needs to include people of all genders. It needs to include people from all backgrounds and all communities um, in order to address those that, that heightened stigma uh, that exists. Our strategic focus is on workplaces. And the reason that we focus on the workplace is, A, we know that adults spend an enormous amount of time at work. B, we know that work, when it is not managed well, organised well, can impact negatively on people's mental health. But also it's a point of access where what we what people learn in the workplace also filters through into their family and into their communities as well. Because we know, of course, that you know, the, the, the brain that we have at work is also the mind and the brain that we have at home. And I guess you know, the link in all of this, back to your point about men not being able to be their whole selves, is of course that we recognise all of the privilege and power of patriarchy, but that doesn't mean that there are not all sorts of negative impacts on men's mental health. And, and what often happens, of course, is that people put on a mask. That mask is very firmly put on, which is, you know, I'm strong, I'm independent, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm, I'm able, I'm successful, you know, all of those stereotypes. Behind that mask is the vulnerability which all of us feel as human beings, you know, the, the, the reality of being human. You know, if that mask is so firmly put on that you're not having conversations, you're not seeking help when you need it, of course, the, the, the consequences of that are potentially devastating. Yeah, and I, I like the, the, as I mentioned, the great work you, you are doing because it in kind of seeding employees who have these skills to address those mental health issues with various communities, as you mentioned, you're able to spread across the country in different places that otherwise will be reachable or only targeted for only certain communities, only certain genders. It's really helpful. Again, from your experience, what would help men to easily lower their mask and just to not see as a stigma any longer, the idea of, okay, I can express my fully self and I can just share who I am, bring my my vulnerable side, because they said all of us have it. It just comes in different shapes and sizes. I mean, ultimately, of course, this is a really long-term project. And, and the earlier we start so that actually we don't get the mask in the first place, you know, is ultimately where where we want um, to, to be. But I guess there are, you know, there are all sorts of, you know, you've got the stigma around mental health. You've got the stereotypes around masculinity and what it means to be a man. You've got, you know, the impact of homophobia. And, you know, so men often define themselves as what they're not. So I'm not gay and I'm not a girl, you know, rather than what does it mean to be a man and, and embrace it in that um, long way. And then you've got, you know, cultural, religious uh, uh, norms and, and beliefs, which also impact. And ultimately, the key thing we, which we've got to just try to do is to, to enable eradication of stigma in relation to mental health, the broadening of gender stereotypes so that everybody, men, women, non-binary people are free to be who they are, um, and to value and nurture friendships 
if you think about girls that often talk about their, their friends, men will often talk about their mates. If you sit and listen to conversations, there will be lots of depth of conversation. And of course, I'm stereotyping here, but the stereotypes exist because they have it, they're grounded in, in reality, where mates are more likely to be talking about the football or, or, or something which, you know, has, has less emotional context and contact and 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 they, those are all the things you know we almost bully boys up and rough them up a bit you know they don't boys don't cry it doesn't hurt stand up get up get on um, and then criticize them when they you know behave in in particular ways and and that comes from the media it comes from social media it comes from our families it comes from our communities and it's almost just like air conditioning you know it's it's on and, and we're we're feeling the aircon and it's only when it's turned off that you go oh okay yeah what's that mean and yeah i've got friends who a long time ago were yeah their their child wanted to take a particular toy a boy wanted to take a particular toy into school they wanted their boy to be able to take it into school because they saw no problem or challenge yeah with it it was what would have been traditionally a girl's toy but they knew that there would be a backlash, yeah, that there would be potential bullying. And so they're stuck between this rock and a hard place where they absolutely want, wanted him to have the freedom to choose and to play and to be who he was. And yet the wider community, and, and we hear and see that you know, all the time. So it's up to all of us, isn't it, to, to be doing what we can. There is no policy initiative. There's no campaign. There's no amount of money that will change this. It's all of us just being aware what we've been socialised, what we've learned, what we've understood, and making sure that that doesn't limit us or any of the people around us. And our prejudices, our biases, the things we've learned will all be there. And it's how we how we unlearn them, you know, all of the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think one thing that came to my mind, speaking about kind of stereotypes and prejudices and expectations from society, how they change within a society as well, in the 1930s, a colour associated for, for boys to wear as, you know, as young, it was pink. Imagine nowadays for a young boy to go dressed all in pink to, you know, to kindergarten or so on. People would just raise their eyebrows. So this was happening in the UK. So again, we see over the course of roughly 100 years how expectations, perceptions have changed. If I may uh, be a bit personal to ask how your perception of masculinity has changed uh, over time. I mean, I grew up gay um, in the 70s and 80s um, in Cornwall. Um, so rural, uh, rural Cornwall. And, and learnt what was supposed to be and, and what was not supposed to be. And I don't know where I learnt it. It's interesting because there were very many things where actually sometimes, you know, I wanted to do the things which all the other boys were doing, but there were also other times when I absolutely didn't and would would feel and, and remembering, you know, all of the conversations and banter and, and thinking, oh, this doesn't feel right, but anyway keep going because the consequences of not are too too great and similarly you know and didn't come out until you know I was at university for all of those sorts of reasons and you know I'm almost 50 now and yet feel very confident about who I am but that inner security that inner play sort of that voice you know uh, uh, still speaks and you hear it you know on, on stag do's you know or if you're gay of course you get also get invited to the hen do you know often um and i'm like oh, not actually fitting in wholly here not absolutely fitting in wholly here so i guess what i would love to think and i do genuinely believe that people can and are and should be 
who they are. And, and of course, there is nothing wrong with loving football. There's nothing wrong with being loud. There's nothing wrong with any of the things which are stereotypes. It, it is when they limit anybody that it becomes a problem. But I also know that there are times where I will feel insecure, you know, in certain spaces. There are also times when I will look and think, wow, that's brave, uh, you know, to say, do, wear uh, those things, either brave, you know, in a safe place, a safe environment, or brave walking down the street where it may not be safe. And there'll also be times where I think, oh, for goodness sake, you know, would you, would you just quieten down a little bit and, you know, create space for, for others? So I think our experience of living enables us to realize that life is not black and white but that doesn't mean that all of the things which you have learned don't influence what you think and feel at particular moments in time if that makes sense absolutely first of all thank you for for being open and vulnerable and and upfront in terms of your journey and what i can imagine while you were growing up there were certain challenges and expectations of men as you said to be a certain way and also recognize within myself that we negotiate gender as you mentioned like oh i should be more like this or more like that and i feel that within myself as well when i'm out with my friends or just by myself it's oh this is more masculine i should do this it's that kind of voice it's always in the back of our head and it's important to acknowledge it and that's why i think where the trying to educate myself as a man that how i should be more as a wholesome grounded man and then just following the the instinct or the crowds or whatever label one might by want to use yeah and it's it's the following your heart isn't it and feeling comfortable and confident following your your, your heart and even hearing what your heart is saying um and i think that's the the risk that we face is that some people, sometimes the outside noises, you know, drown out the inside noises and, and that dissonance then between how people feel and how they're expected to behave can cause real problems. Absolutely. Is it okay for you to just kind of maybe share a bit from your experience or your previous work, the relation between sexuality, men's mental health and this kind of rigid expectations of men that don't allow us to be fully who we are? So I used to work in sexual health um, for 21 years. And what I learned in working in sexual health is, of course, our relationship to ourselves and to others is, a, is an emotional and mental health issue, you know, whatever our experiences. And, and you know, whether you grow up gay, bi, straight, pan, trans, you know, we still learn all of the same rules. And the, the, we're recording this on um, uh, the week which around non-binary uh, awareness and and I listened to a video yesterday of some people who just said you know, you may not feel able to be free and be yourselves now they were talking a, a message to their younger selves but you know just stick and be true to who you are and enjoy the journey and I think the same is true around sexuality and masculinity you know for people who are gay will often be questions around sexual practice sexual preference a focus on that and is it masculine or is it feminine you know who's the top and all of those sorts of things you know if if somebody is is bi it's like oh are they really gay but actually just saying that they want to be with a woman you know somebody it goes on and if somebody is heterosexual but doesn't want to have sex at a particular time or etc yeah it all intersects into people's sense of themselves the sense of what they expect and they ultimately into their emotional and mental mental health. So I guess, again, it just comes back to this piece, doesn't it? That anything which defines the way that we do things with 
a clear set of rules, most people will not be able to live up to, you know, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. And so all we're doing by having these very gendered expectations, these rigid expectations is setting people up to fail. And that of course impacts on on their sense of themselves and each other and i think that's true regardless of sexual identity and gender identity that that we police people you know you talked about doing gender every day people also police gender every day you know the things that is acceptable for women to wear to do to think to express themselves the things that it's acceptable for men to do wear think express themselves in different settings it's just peculiar <laughs> if you actually think that it's just peculiar that we have got to a situation where that is the reality that we are willing to uphold but dismantling it requires people to say this is nonsense you know this is, and recognize that the power and privilege that exists in certain sections will also need dismantling as part of that i feel like i'm slightly going off off track here but it's it is peculiar isn't it that at some point we haven't progressed as quickly as far as we should in just allowing people to be who they truly are i i totally totally agree and a few things that also come to my mind from the previous things you just shared. First of all is how we have this negative image. I'm a man because I'm not a woman or masculine because I'm not gay, which is obviously totally nonsense. And I think also linked to sexuality. I remember a friend of mine who was doing his army training and he was saying while he was based there in, uh, you know, doing the training, there was one guy every weekend is coming with a outrageous number of saying, I had sex with my girlfriend 20 times this weekend. Just again to reaffirm I confirm that how virile, how masculine he is, and also to assert himself among his mates, how anyway it's a very dominant to the other sex, like to his girlfriend, but also towards the others. This is how, you know, my perception and my experience is a lot of times behind these loud voices, there's a massive vulnerability or insecurity that they need to express. And that's why I think we need to create those conversations, safe spaces, and you said start policing gender, either the masculine, non-binary or the feminine gender. I am who I am, regardless of my sexual appetite or attraction. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that. Absolutely. But it, but it, it's, it's often the case, isn't it, that loud and boisterous behaviours are about projecting. All behaviours give us a clue. All behaviours. So let's take out the loud and boisterous. But just all behaviours give us a clue, whether that's uh, whether that's silence, whether that's, uh, yeah, whether it's, it's, it's loud or, or whether it's sort of somewhere somewhere in the middle, but somewhere, um, and, and this is, you know, back to your point in the early stages, you know, somewhere as a, as a younger person, I needed to outwardly prove that I was man enough and, and also make sure that people thought I was straight. I mean, reality, of course, you find out later is that nobody particularly believed it, you know, but at, but at the time it's really important to be part of that, but we police gender in all sorts of ways, from the clothes that they wear, you know, right through to the pitch of their voice, through to the way they walk or run or, or whatever it is. And it's just, just nonsense. But it's no wonder when you have all of that, that people do feel the need to say, you know, I had sex all weekend or, you know, I slept with this many people or whatever it is and, and trophy, you know, create trophies for themselves and totems, which you can go, Oh, yeah, they're, they're definitely, you know, leader of the pack. But, I guess from a more optimistic space and place, these conversations are happening. So when I, I ran a Young Men's Sexual Health Project in 1996, and at that point there were no other projects which were focused specifically on young men. 
and talking around sexuality, masculinity, healthy sexuality, healthy masculinity. Yet we now do have more people who are having those conversations. And I think luckily we also have progress where men do have deep friendships, which are, you know, are really rooted in, in love and are not, af- not afraid to express that. And also having conversations publicly. I was, I was really interested the other day. I was in a, in a queue, um, into parliament. There were two lads who were obviously parliamentary researchers, you know, stood behind openly talking about emotional issues, things that were on their mind. One saying, you know, that sounds difficult. Are you all right? Um, and yeah, it was really inspiring. You know, it's that sort of sense of actually change is happening. Change does happen. Our next door neighbor, yeah, was, um, whose straight man was going to pride and was just going along to, support to enjoy the atmosphere to to demonstrate allyship and these are, are younger younger men the other end you've got you know men shed and and other you know walking initiatives and mental health initiatives where people are talking and i think covid also created a context and an environment where we had to check in with each other yeah and and having had some of those experiences my hope is of course that we don't go back you know you can only go forward once you're mind has been opened um, to that. So, yeah, I think there's lots to be optimistic about. Yeah, and and, and my, my dad, who's almost 80, um, my mum died 18 months or so ago, and I've been really, really struck by his emotional intelligence, you know, his understanding of himself and his understanding about what he wants to do in order to grieve and to, to, to commemorate. Um, and, and I don't know that I'd seen that side of him before. And of course, he hasn't just learnt it age 78, it's been there. But the change and the shift you know, in, in, his, in his reality has meant that you know, he's expressed it and verbalising at least things in a different way. So yes, there's a long way to go. You know, and all the stereotypes exist. Again, in Men's Health Week, I had a, did an interview with one of the lifestyle editors at GQ magazine, which again, a conversation which wouldn't have been had 15 years or so ago in that same sort of way. So there's all sorts of behaviours which are obviously reinforce, uphold, but there is also lots of signs that things are are shifting and moving and changing for the better. Absolutely uh, spot on. And first of all, sorry to hear about your, you know, your, your mum is ever pleasant. But I think, as you said, there are a lot of things that need to still to be changed, but also there are signs of, of improvement. And um, I remember last last October, I fortunately had a minor accident on my bike. And the first thing that I've done is like, I've managed to get home safe. But I said, first, said, let me take my bike to the workshop because I had to do some checkups and repairing. So I went there straight to the to the workshop. And, you know, after I saw, told the guy what happened with the bikes, first thing he asked me, but are you okay? And it stroked me because the whole time that, you know, I'm cycling back to London, I never asked myself, am I emotionally okay? Because I was a bit shaken by the accident. It wasn't anything major. But I didn't, it didn't occur to me to ask myself if I'm okay. I was wondering if my bike is okay, but didn't ask myself emotionally if I'm okay. It didn't necessarily imply emotionally if I'm okay, but this is what I've kind of got. And that for me was a, a lesson to take with me when I see somebody, something happening, to ask them, are you okay? And actually meant it. Unfortunately, sometimes it's not well received. Yeah. But sometimes it's well received. So it's great to see the times when people embrace that. There's a shift in our culture, mm-hmm. but there's still there's some, some work to be done. And hopefully 
we go from strength to strength mm-hmm. and we don't reverse as I've seen, for example, like with Roe and Wade, things have happened in, in the US because it's quite, quite sad. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, rights are never something you can take for granted. Yeah, if you look at something like abortion rights at, at our current conservative leadership candidates, you know, there's a lot of abstentions in voting and some very active voting for the deterioration of, of women's rights. So it's always yeah, important to be vigilant. And, and similarly, you know, many of them are under LGBT rights and, and others. You know, voting record hasn't been great. You know, scary, actually, sometimes how power shifts can mean. When you were just talking about you, you hadn't asked yourself how to, you know, whether you felt okay. I think this is a really powerful shift which we need to see within society. We have a tool at MHFA England, which is called My Whole Self um, MOT, which is a series of questions which you ask yourself. And I will wholly admit, when I first started working in mental health and I saw those questions, I was like, why would you ask yourself those questions each day? But of course, don't actually ask myself how my back is or how my hips is, but I just know because I can feel pain because I'm attuned to that. But what I realized over the last three or four years is that actually I can also become attuned to how my brain is, how my mind is, and, and, and by asking some, some questions which can help me to make sure that I don't get to the point of crisis or, or distress um, because I can recognize some of those warning signs. So we could perhaps put in the notes uh, a link to, to that tool, but I would really encourage people to think about how am I feeling? What am I thinking? How was my sleep? And of course, there's also, if we ask ourselves those things, we become much more attuned and we're much more likely to have those conversations you know, as well. So it's all part of that culture change, which is needed. Very, very happy to put the link in the caption of this episode. I like to kind of, it's very much very similar to, to what you say, but like emotional hygiene to kind of make sure that we have a routinely time when we respect ourselves and look after emotions or maybe reflect oh i think that reaction i don't think was that right what can i improve how can i do it better why they respond this way and so on and i think going back to my acts i realized i wanted to make sure that if my body's okay my bike is okay but not my my you know emotions or my inside was okay I, again because i was so used maybe to disregard that part of myself yeah that i didn't engage with it in that moment it's interesting isn't it how Yes, so didn't think about it in that moment. And I guess there's a perhaps a, a lesson for all of us there that sometimes there are things that either our body does to help protect us, your know, mind does to help protect us in that moment. You, you needed to continue to cycle. And would it have been beneficial to check in with yourself first, or, or did your was your brain going actually I need to to get somewhere? Yeah, and, and um, but also that sometimes. We may want to change our behaviours or we may want to do things, but it may not feel like it is the time or the place or we believe that it will be difficult. That doesn't mean that just because we change something once or get it right once that we won't you know, go backwards or you know, sometimes wanting to be you know, really, really positive and about broadening masculinity and making sure challenging misogyny and, and, and all sorts of things. But don't always get it right. Don't always get it right for myself and don't always get it right um, for others. And it's making sure that yeah, we recognise that these expectations yeah, are so deeply ingrained that it will be an ongoing process, a cha-cha, two steps forward, one step back as we go through. But the benefits 
and this is one thing when I worked with young men you know, 20 odd years or so ago, the benefit of feeling like you can truly be who you are at the same time as not hurting other people and, and impacting negatively on other people through prejudice or violence or pressure is really great on an individual basis. And they, they, you know, those young men could really feel that. And I think, you know, I certainly as I got older and more confident, recognize benefits of, of more freedom, but there will also be times where old behaviors will just automatically you know, respond with behaviors which are learned and that, yeah, that's, that's just part of the process. It's such a powerful observation. First, there's a process and doesn't mean always kind of go from strength to strength, but it's a learning process it means that it goes up and down. At least the trajectory should be upwards. We spoke a bit about stereotypes earlier, and I was wondering what are some of the stereotypes about men that, that you, you dislike? I guess probably the stereotype which I think is most untrue is that men don't talk. I think men do talk if the environment, the relationships is right. So I recognize the stereotype, yeah, and recognize why it's there, but I also believe it does a, a disservice. It perpetuates the, the myth. So for me, that is one where there may be a lot of men who don't feel able to talk, don't want to talk, can't talk, but there are a, a whole lot of men who are also wanting to trying to and challenging stereotypes and challenging social norms and it's that bigging up what men can do and are doing and is possible to create change which is positive which i think is is important which is why that stereotype is a challenge for me it's a very good one linked to this one also kind of the wider topic we are discussing is while educating myself about masculinity one thing that i came across and i realized is that we again by defining ourselves, oh, I'm, I'm masculine, therefore I'm not gay. It's like we, we strip ourselves. We don't allow ourselves to have non-sexual touches. Are your arm around your, your mate? Yeah. Or just like, I like, for example, when I was in Denmark, that when you see your friends, you just hug. I've seen sometimes here is not so always welcomed. Yeah. And so I think that doesn't allow ourselves to, to fully express ourselves. Or when we go through a hard time, maybe just you want to, you know, just like say to your friend, like, hey, it's okay, I would just want to give you a hug just to kind of to reassure you and to be there for you. But we're afraid to do that at times because we don't want to be perceived as, unfortunately, as being we attracted to this person or there's a sexual... Kids do that, boys do that very naturally because they haven't yet learned or has been ingrained into them, like you shouldn't be doing that or that means this or that means that. They just follow their healthy instinct as as young as young boys. Um, absolutely, and again, it's one of those, isn't it, where you actually see it happening more, but is not is is, is limited, you know. And 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 yeah, there used to be the only time that you see is, is people on the football pitch, yeah, you know, would would be hugging or people who are very drunk uh, who are hugging. But actually, yeah, that I guess I would say, again say. You know, has shifted and, and, and changed, um, you know, over, over time. Um, but there are still plenty of people who don't feel able to, for sure. The observation about the football pitch, it feels like that's the safe, holy space where most men <laughs> feel free to express emotions in different ways or affection to their mates as well. Interesting, uh, <laughs> observation and, and context as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. As we draw close to our chat, there's one thing that I'd like to get from your perspective. What would be some of the traits you associate with you know, healthy masculinities and what you've seen so far is going well or maybe you would like to see happening in the future? I guess 
the ultimate symbol is confidence in self and awareness of others. That sense of confident in who you are and therefore willing to allow other people to be who they are rather than your confidence in who you are is fragile, which means that you are not willing to yeah, engage with diversity. You talked before about yeah, sort of intimacy and, and all of those sorts of things that people are just able to be who they are, express themselves and allow others to express themselves without any fear or harm as well. So that's the ideal for, for all of us is that yeah, we can fit, grow up confident in who we are, enabling others to be exactly who they are too. Absolutely spot on. I like the two dimensions you bring into this conversation. It's not only about the need to feel confident who I am as, as a man, but also to be mindful of the impact I have on others because the way we behave and also when it comes to mental health has an impact on others, not just on ourselves. So it's important to have those dimensions when we do the work we, we are doing. Absolutely, totally, totally agree with it. Well, thank you very much, Simon. It was really great to have you. Thank you for a brave and bold conversation and sharing your experience about masculinity, men's mental health, sexuality, and so on. It's absolutely lovely to, to just uh, have a chat with you. Thanks very much for inviting me. It's been great talking to you. And thanks for doing the podcast. It's important that these conversations happen. The world changes by conversations, one conversation at a time. So as you said, men actually are talking, eh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Mentality Podcast. And a quick heads up, that the next episode is going to be about mentoring where my guest Claude Murray who's an expert on mentoring especially mentoring young boys we're going to cover this topic and until next time take care guys and keep listening to Mentality Podcast.